Jim Sano on College Hoops Chat on WVOX 1460 AM. Hope you're all doing well today. I am certainly doing well. Happy to be here with all of you. So let me do a reminder that uh, for the summer months, and even though it's not technically summer yet, we're calling May a summer month uh, because the students have left college. So this is the summer vacation for students. So College Hoops Chat's on a summer vacation as well. So we're opening up the show to different discussions about different sports. So we're not just locked into college basketball, although we do talk about college basketball on every show. Um, So anyway, tonight, um, to kind of start off, I want to stay on basketball, but I want to talk about something a little different about basketball, and that is the New York Knickerbockers, the New York Knicks. How exciting is this? Fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. They're going to play the Atlantic Hawks in the playoffs a team that they beat three times in the regular season, uh, swept them in the regular season. Uh, So certainly they have a chance uh, to win and go to the next round, although the Hawks are good, and they're going to give them a tough series, no doubt. Uh, They finished the year, the Knicks, 41-31. and Like, who thought that? Who thought the Knickerbockers could go 41-31? and Now, I will tell you that I argued with my son uh, when they hired Tom Thibodeau. My son, who was on last week, you heard him if you uh, tuned in, he's a very intelligent NBA fan, uh, but he's kind of new school and I'm old school. Okay, I'm old school. And Tom Thibodeau's old school. He's the kind of coach where the players have to buy in. Uh, but if you buy in, you're going to get a better product. He's not a country club coach, Tom Thibodeau. And there are coaches in the NBA right now that are country club coaches. They let the players do whatever they want. They let the players run the team. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Thibodeau's old school. He's Pat Riley. He's Jeff Van Gundy, okay? Thibodeau is old school. That's what I like about him, all right? And if you buy in, if a team buys in, the players buy in and to work on player development with the excellent coaching staff Thibodeau put together, um, if you do all that, you're going to be a better team. Now, I thought the Knicks had a chance of 500, and my son argued with me, thought I was nuts. But I did think that Thibodeau is such a great coach, and I saw it with the Bulls, saw it briefly with the Timberwolves. He's such a great coach. Uh, that he could get them close to 500. That's what I thought. Well, I have to tell you, um, 41 and 31. Uh, they have $45 million right now in cap space for next year. A playoff team, the fourth-seeded playoff team in the Eastern Conference, with $45 million in projected cap space, two first-round picks coming up. They have a 26-year-old All-NBA player in Julius Randle, a talented young core, and one of the best coaching staffs in the leagues. How about that, Knicks? Now, I'm, I'm reading off Fredo, Go Knicks Tape on Twitter. That's his notes I'm reading here on the show right now, but they were excellent. Uh, although he has a curse word, and I'm not going to read that on Twitter. But nevertheless, how about those Knickerbockers, folks? Uh, I'm very excited. We're going to have uh, Peter DiBiase, my friend, uh, the Providence College student who calls in. He's going to call in talk a little later on in the show about the NBA play-in games and some real interesting ones for sure. Interesting play-in games for the NBA playoffs. Uh, But I just have to do a shout-out to the New York Knicks. 
Um, I was a New York Knicks fan my whole life. I, I, and I shouldn't say in past tense because I'm always a New York Knicks fan. But I have to tell you, over the last two decades, uh, my Knicks fanness has dropped. I, I'm less excited. I mean, Isaiah Thomas came in in the early 2000s and destroyed the team. And uh, nobody could really get the ship uh, correct. Donnie Walsh came in, started doing a little better. And then Phil Jackson came in and made it worse. So it's been a real difficult time. Uh, Mike Woodson and, and Donnie Walsh together got us to the playoffs one year, and that was a pretty nice team. But then they fell apart again. So the, you, you pretty much couldn't have managed a team more poorly than the Knicks have managed for the past uh, 20 years. But not now. I think the new management team seems like they're uh, being careful and smart. And I, I just told you already, I love Tom Thibodeau. And they have a lot of good young players. I love R.J. Barrett. Obviously, I love Julius Randle. Uh, D. Rose looks awfully good on the court, even though he's a veteran. It's nice to see him out there. Um, but they have a lot of young players. Um, players coming together. Um, and, I, you know, I really think the Knicks are going to win the first round of the playoffs. Uh, I'm feeling excited about that. Um, and I hope they do. I hope the New York Knickerbockers win uh, the first round. It'd be great for the fans. The fans deserve it. The New York Knicks fans have suffered for so long. Now, I had season tickets in the 1990s in the Pat Riley, Jeff Van Gundy playoffs every year, Knicks. Now, they never won the championship, lost in that finals in 1994, the Houston Rockets. But I loved them. That was great teams. Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, John Starks, uh, a lot of really good players. Latrell Sprewell, Allen Houston, Charlie Ward. It was a lot of fun to be a Knicks fan in the 1990s. I know how the garden can rock. I know how Madison Square Garden can rock. I've been there, one of those people with season tickets, yelling and screaming, game after game after game. Defense, defense, defense. So, um, we'll see what happens now in these playoffs. Knicks get an extra home game uh, against the Atlanta Hawks, and let's hope they can do it. Let's hope the Knicks can go out there uh, and get a win in the first round of the playoffs. And then, you know, uh, more uh, resources are coming. Um, More troops are coming in. And I think we're going to um, uh, have a, a real turnaround here with the New York Knickerbockers. I'm excited about it, and I'm hoping uh, that the Knicks um, can um, be a, a perennial playoff winner like the old days, like the 1990s, which was so much fun to be a New York Knicks fan. All right, so we have Kenny from Rye calling in in a couple of minutes. Um, let me go over some of the things we're going to talk about on the show tonight. So... When Kenny calls in, we're going to talk about Jay Wright. I love Jay Wright. Like, if I was starting a basketball team, I'd ask Jay Wright to be my coach. Jay Wright is a fabulous coach. He's on the Mount Rushmore of active college basketball coaches. Um, he's a great coach. He's one of the best coaches in America, and they put him in the Hall of Fame this weekend. Like, how exciting is that? Jay Wright, Hall of Fame. It's nice to see somebody work his way up um, and get to the point where they make a Hall of Fame while they're still coaching. You know, he won two championships in three years. Uh, a great coach of Villanova, Jay Wright. Although, Roly Massimino, I'm not quite sure why he's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he pulled off one of the most epic wins in the history of the sport of basketball, college or pro, knocking off Georgetown in 1985. Not quite sure why Roly Massimino doesn't get into the Hall of Fame. He was a great coach, too, at Villanova. We're going to talk a little about University of Buffalo uh, on the show tonight. Now, I went to University of Buffalo. I follow the teams closely, and I want to talk a little basketball and a little football. We're talking about the Mets injuries. Uh, the Mets are the walking wounded out there right now. It's a, it's a disaster. 
the New York Mets. Uh, after getting swept this weekend, Mets have some real injury issues. And of course, in our last segment with Peter DiBiase, we're going to do a little NBA play-in. All right, so that is our schedule for tonight. We're waiting for Kenny from Rye to call in, and uh, we'll get into all these issues. But I did want to start off the show with a salute, a shout-out to the New York Knickerbockers and their playoff team. Great stuff, right? Great stuff, the New York Knickerbockers. All right, so wait for Kenny. And um, I'm looking forward to talking about the University of Buffalo, too. Uh, I don't do too much on the show. It's kind of far away for us, right? It's up all the way up in Buffalo, but... Um, they are a New York State team at a New York State University, uh, whether it's basketball or football. And they had some really good teams. We're going to talk about that a little bit. You may not know just how good Buffalo is at sports now. And I'm going to tell you about that tonight. All right. So I think that's Kenny from Rye. Chuck. All right. Kenny from Rye, are you there? James, how are we doing? Great. So it, it's perfect to have you call in where I'm going to talk. We'll start with Jay Wright going to the college basketball. Well, actually, the, which Hall of Fame? <laughs> you tell me which Hall of Fame Jay Wright went to. Well, it's the Hall of Fame. It's, right. the, it's the NBA, Hall of Fame. It is really, the basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Mass. Who, as a coach, is going in in the same class as just some incredible legends um, from a perspective of as they make a point in the article talking about him is that he's a college basketball coach going into the Hall of Fame for a very, that's basically, this is a 20-year record at Villanova with six Big East championships, 15 NCAA appearances, three Sweet 16, and two NCAA championships in 20 years. So, you know, he is the envy of all from a a basketball program perspective. Listen, I love Jay Wright. You know, uh, I'm a big 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 East fan like you are, Kenny from Rye. Uh, You are a Providence fan, so you have to play Villanova twice a year. Uh, uh, back in the uh, about five years ago, you were right even there with uh, Villanova, but then Villanova kind of took off a little, a little better than you guys right now. But you've been watching Villanova for a long time since Jay Wright's come in, uh, and really the team is always well coached. The team is always smart. They have a system. They have a plan. If you're a five star player and you're going to Villanova and you don't want to play Jay Wright's system, you sit on the bench. We've seen that he's he gets his players to buy into his system. And uh, he puts some great teams on the floor, right? You know, it, we've talked about this a few times, particularly with this transfer mania going on that's, that's taking place now. And you and I, I think, are on the same page on this, is that you're, when you do this, when you change over a roster between three and six players, you know, who are going to contribute on a, on, a, on a significant basis, it's going to take some time. It, it doesn't eliminate you, but it surely doesn't help you. And, of course, as you look at Villanova versus many other teams, they had little to no major turnover except for a few graduating people, which is normal. But they didn't have people leaving in droves. They've got, of course, a great recruiting class coming in. And in a year where a lot of the Big East had a lot of turnover, Providence being one, St. John's being one, you're going to have to look at Villanova as just an overwhelming favorite in the division. All right, so let's just touch on Who's going in the Hall of Fame with Jay Wright? And you look at this class, and it's pretty unbelievable. Paul Pierce, Chris Bosch, Chris Weber, Ben Wallace, Rick Edelman, Jay Wright, Bill Russell as a coach, and Yolanda Griffin and Lauren Jackson from the WNBA. That is a powerful class of basketball talent. So congratulations to Jay Wright. And the thing I want to say about him more than anything is 
Uh, several people that know Jay personally, including Brian Harrington, who called our show, who went to high school with me and Kenny from Rye, say that he's a better person than he is a basketball coach. What more can you say about Jay Wright, Kenny? Yeah, and not only that, if you look at the, the which is always a, a compliment to the type of people he hires and how he manages them, his tree of coaching um, assistants and others that have gone on to success is, is very, very impressive as well, not only on the basketball court, but also on the administrative side and then also on the private sector as well. But on the coaching side, he really encourages his coaches to, to step out, and they have, they have a great track record. He's done an amazing job, and I think he's probably you know, an incredibly inspiring boss to work for. I agree, and, and one of his assistants is going to be uh, a coach locally uh, this upcoming season over at Fordham, so that's kind of nice to see as well. All right, Kenny, let's switch. I want to talk a little about University of Buffalo. Now, you know, because when I got out of the Marines and uh, we'd go out for our adult beverage in New York, I told you I was going to go to law school, and I got myself into um, the State University of New York at Buffalo, which is what it was called at the time. They now call themselves the University of Buffalo. Uh, it's an excellent law school, so I was very excited to get into it. Um, and it's the state's law school, so uh, it's pretty affordable. So I had a great experience going to University of Buffalo Law School. Uh, now, let me tell you, Kenny, about when I arrived there in 1989. Now, you'll almost laugh at this. So the law school parking lot was next to, I'm, gonna, I'm doing quote tweets right now, quotes right now, Ken. Um, it is the, the stadium. The stadium hold about 3,000 people for Division Three Buffalo football when I arrived there in 1989. In 1989, they were 4-6 and six in Division Three, Kenny. In 1990, they were 2-8 and eight Buffalo. And in 1991, they were 3-7. and seven. I mean, kind of like a disaster, right? Um, a small little stadium. Um, but they decided, uh, in the, uh, right around, I guess the decisions were being made while I was there, but it happened after I left, that they wanted to get Buffalo into Division One. For football and basketball. And people thought that was kind of nutty because they were Division Three and they weren't even any good. You know, they were good in the old days from 1950 to 1970. They had some really good teams. But they shut down Division One in 1971 for both basketball and for football. Uh, they came back and they were Division Three. They shut the team down completely, Ken. They came back in 1977 and were Division Three until 1992. They stunk uh, when they came back. Uh, they only had one winning record, Kenny, in their first 15 years after they went Division One. But they finally went Division One as an independent. They were starting to get a little bit better, and everything changed in 2006 when they hired Turner Gill. Remember the former Nebraska star Turner Gill? Do you remember that name, Ken? I do very well. Who also did when he did extremely well there. It was a great launching pad for him. Yeah. So he yeah he he left and went to University of Kansas. He got them to a bowl game and an eight and six record. Now that was in two thousand eight. That was the high mark of Buffalo football for decades. Um, but let's take a look at where they're at right now. In twenty fifteen, uh, Lance Leipold shows up and he has to kind of do a transition. They go five and seven, then two and ten, six and six. But people don't realize this. They've been great for three years now. Uh, Buffalo to twenty four and ten over the last three years. SUNY Buffalo, or University of Buffalo football. They went ten and four in twenty eighteen. They went eight and five in twenty nineteen. They went six and one this past year with a running back in seven games, got a thousand and seventy two yards and nineteen touchdown. Who's now in the NFL, Jared Patterson. Uh, they won bowl games the last two years, and um, 
They won the Camilla Bowl over Marshall last year. The year before, they won the Bahama Bowl against Charlotte, 31-9. These are not big bowls. But, Kenny, as you and I know, SUNY schools don't win bowl games. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting uh, in looking back on it, as we've discussed this a few times, and I, and I guess it, it, it reflects on the quality of the people you hire. As you say, Leopold has, was a great hire from a perspective of his last three years. And the good part about that is that you've had success. The bad part about it is that he leaves, which he has left for Kansas. But the division they're in, I always laugh because I have a very good friend and some families that are Ohio State fans, uh, live, you know, live or die by Ohio State, is the division they're in, MAC, the MAC division, is a brutal division. Everybody in that division, not everybody, I should say, but many of the players in that division all have a chip on their shoulder because they didn't get it, they didn't get recruited by Michigan or Ohio or Iowa or Wisconsin. So they played at Central Michigan, Buffalo. So when they come out and play, they play with a chip on their shoulder, and it's great to see because that is an excellent football, college football division. And I think um, you know Buffalo has done a great job in it with very, very tough teams. It's true, you know. The only thing that so here's what I want to tell you, Ken. I have never been since they went Division One to a University of Buffalo football game um, because they were terrible for decades. It just got good over the last decade. I'm dying to go to a game. I'm actually thinking about flying up this year, Ken, and go, going to Buffalo. Now, they have a nice stadium. Do you know why they have a nice stadium? Here's some luck for the University of Buffalo. In, well, while I was there, there was construction all over the campus in 1992 when I graduated. Uh, you know why? Buffalo got sec- selected for one of those international games. I've probably heard of it. The World University Games, China and Russia sends teams over. Because it was hosted at Buffalo, they got enormous money poured into University of Buffalo, made the campus a lot nicer, and they had to build a stadium, Ken, for that, and that's now the football stadium, which is a really nice football stadium. It was the stadium for the World University Games. It's now the football stadium. So I've never, I've seen it when I went back for reunions, but I think I got to fly up there this year and go to a Buffalo football game. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do it, make sure you do it early because I know you're a fan of the cold weather. Yes, I'm not so, a fan of cold so, weather. No, I left Buffalo. I said now, I'm never coming back. Not, not only taking back that, or all joking aside, not that the other teams in the MAC are in, you know, uh, you know, destination vacation places, but Buffalo deals with a lot of snow, you know, very, very early. So they do. that everything they're doing is working around the weather. They don't probably have the facilities that an Alabama has, so they're working around. The, the trials and tribulations of weather, uh, not only from a playing perspective on on the weekends, but also practice. No question. So let's go, let's give a little salute to the new coach. So, like Kenny said, Lance Leipold, who did a terrific job, uh, won two bowl games in two years, which is hard to do for any college football team. Uh, is now going to Kansas, which is a tough job. New coach is Maurice Lindquist. He's the so he just got hired to be the co-defensive coordinator of Michigan. This is the level coach now going to Buffalo. Um, but he never got the coach because he got this job instead. But, Kenny, as we've seen, when we have uh, assistant coaches for basketball calling, he's another one that did the circuit. He was an assistant. He played for Baylor. Then he was an assistant coach at, at JMU, James Madison, a very strong football program. Then he was at Buffalo. Then he was at Iowa State, Mississippi State, Minnesota, Texas A&M, even stopped by the Dallas Cowboys. So he's got a great resume. Let's, let's wish Maurice Lindquist well, that he can conf- continue what Leipold did 
um, at University of Buffalo. How about that, Ken? I think also one of the things in reading about him and seeing that come over the tape, obviously, again, showed success. You have a, a coach that has success, and the reason why he's picked up by a big program is because of the success. So this coach is seeing that same opportunity as well. I know he's known as a great recruiter and also an incredible motivator, they say. So if you look at his, his as you say, his resume over the last few years, Michigan, the Cowboys, Texas A&M, Minnesota, Mississippi State, Iowa State, I don't think he ever unpacked his bags. Right, exactly. So it's just incredible, and I think obviously they've got somebody who they know who hopefully they get the same blueprint they had with the, with Leopold. Right. All right. So we have a couple of bits of stuff. I want to just switch now with University of Buffalo. The other thing I point out, I don't think people realize how strong the basketball program uh, has become. Uh, when I was there, it was their first year in Division One, and they were terrible. Two and 26 in my third year of law school. And they really uh, weren't that good. Reggie Witherspoon came in in 1999. He coached to 2013. He did get them to 20 wins about four times, but they were an independent uh, they never got in the, in the big dance. But then Bobby Hurley showed up in 2013. He goes 19-10 and 10 the first year. Second year, 23-10. and 10. They go to the big dance. They lose to West Virginia. Bobby Hurley really put them on the map. But then they get Nate Oates. Nate Oates is the coach. Nate Oates only goes 20-15, and 7-15, 27 27-9, 32-4. He beats Arizona in the NCAA tournament. And he beats Bobby Hurley in Arizona State in the NCAA tournament, and then he goes to Alabama and, of course, coaches a strong team, Alabama, in the tournament this year. The reason I want to point that out is uh, how, how good is the Buffalo athletic director? He hired Lance Leipold in football. He hired Bobby Hurley and Nate Oates. That's a damn good athletic director at Buffalo. Right, Ken? Yeah, I think it's also a realization of who and what you are from a perspective. And I always say this. I was talking to someone about this the other day. If you had the opportunity, if you weren't, if you're not Alabama, you're not Ohio State, or you're not Duke in basketball, what, what do what do you hope for from a coaching perspective? Do you expect that coach to be there forever? In Buffalo's situation, I think there's a realization: let's get the really bright young person to coach and and then be successful. Whether he he or in the women's sports or coaching, she decides to stay two, five, seven years. That's fine. But if you win. If you win during that time, it makes all the difference in the world because what happens is then it's easy to get the next superstar up-and-coming coach like they've done here in football. And now they, and for basketball, let's give him a, give him a shout-out. Jim Whitesell has been the coach for two years since Nate Oates went. The first year he took, they went 20-12. and 12. This year they went 20-21. and 21. They lost in the MAC Finals, in a, in a, and they lost to um, um, Ohio, which won a couple of games in the NCAA tournament. And they went 16-9, so uh, he's 36-21 and 21 in his first two years. So uh, he's a former Loyola Chicago coach, Jim Whitesell, coached some other teams too. Um, so he's doing a nice job, but you're right. Uh, the key is when you get one of these coaches that does a great job, like a Nate Oates, is to make sure the program keeps rolling along with another good coach. And let's see if that happens in football. So far for basketball, it's been pretty good. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest here also. It can't be easy to recruit to Buffalo. So that not that he's competing against people that are in, as you say, in Florida or Texas or California, but it's not easy to get people to come up to Buffalo from a perspective of where it starts snowing in October, doesn't start till you know, doesn't stop till May first. Right. So you have to, you have to, you know, get to give the commission, give the AD credit as well as the coach. He's done a great job. All right, we talked. We got a little Buffalo on the map on the show today: basketball and football. 
Thank you for joining me. Kenny, hold on on the break. We're going to come back and talk about the Mets injuries. This is College Hoop Chat, Jim Masano. We'll be right back. Westchester's favorite morning show. I love the morning show. Good morning, Westchester, with Dennis and Tommy. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9, right here on 1460 WVOX. 1460 WVOX. They're playing basketball. We love that basketball. They're playing basketball. All right, folks, this is Jim Misano at College Hoops Chat. Uh, we're back after now for our commercial break, and we're going to go for the second half of the show. Uh, Kenny from Rye, are you still there? I am, James. All right, so we're Mets fans, and our team is still in first place, but we're in big trouble. So let me do a little lead-in, and then we'll get the Kenny from Rye commentary. So the Mets are now 18-16, and 16, even though they were 18-13 and 13 coming into this past weekend. Uh, the Mets had a really bad weekend. After winning seven in a row and getting to 18-13, and 13, they now got swept this past weekend uh, by the Tampa Rays. Uh, they lost all three games. They got Friday night, uh, the bullpen blew it 3-2, and then they got blown out on Saturday and Sunday. Saturday, 12-5. Sunday, 7-1. and um, And now we're the walking wounded. Let me just go through it. So currently on the disabled list, we've had Syndergaard, a really great starting pitcher, uh, all year. He hasn't pitched yet. He's coming back maybe in a month or so. Carlos Carrasco, who we got in the trade from the Indians with Lindor, uh, a really good career uh, starting pitcher. And one of the guys I'm very fond of, Julio Lugo, who's a really solid reliever. And then, as the season progressed, Jacob deGrom, the best pitcher in baseball, who happens to be a Met, goes on the DL. Brandon Nimmo, our starting center fielder. J.D. Davis, our starting third baseman. Albert Amora, one of our backup outfielders, who's a great defensively. Uh... Luis Guillorme, our, our really good utility infielder, who's a pretty good third baseman when J.D. Davis needs a break. Now they're both out. And Dylan Betenses, uh, one of our relief pitchers who we're still hoping is going to pitch like he did with the Yankees. And now today, Jeff McNeil goes on the disabled list and Michael Conforto. So right now, our starting center fielder, Nimmo, starting third baseman, Davis, starting second baseman, McNeil, and starting right fielder, Conforto, are all on the disabled list. Tonight, they only have three of the regular starters in the lineup. Lindor's playing short, and he's not much up with his 190 batting average. Dom Smith in left field, who just, you know, barely adequate so far this season. And Alonzo at first base, who's played pretty good. On the bench tonight, even is McCann, our catcher, who's hitting 200. And off, off, also off to a slow start, fighting off the Mendoza line. Right now, despite the fact that Mets are in first place, Kenny from Ryan, it doesn't feel that good. Yeah, you know, we talked about this, but, you know, to some extent, and, and I'm not saying that they're worse off or better off, but injury is a part of the game. And, yes, this is a little bit extreme, but it also goes to speak to an organization and the depth of your organization, not only who's on the bench, but also who's at the, who's at the minor leagues. So that, 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 unfortunately, is highlighted. 
you and I discussed briefly this weekend, if you look at organizations watching the Mets and watching the Tampa Bay Rays, who are in different coasts uh, from, a, from a payroll perspective, it, it, it shows what Cohn and Sandy Olson talked about, about building an elite organization, not just spending money. The, the, the pundits on TV, on radio and TV talk about money, money, money. It's proven that money just doesn't. You can you can spend a lot of money and still not win a lot of games. So this this shows you where organizations like Tampa Bay, who is number twenty six in payroll, has the has an option where if they run into these problems, they start pulling guys up from AAA and they still win games. I agree. Look, it's a long season. One thing we know about baseball, it's a long season, and the Mets are in you know having a little bit of rough patch here with all the injuries. Uh, a three-game losing streak. We'll see how they do this week. But like Kenny's kind of saying, people got to step up. You know, the, whoever's uh, going to be placed on the field, uh, you're going to have to step up. And I looked at the lineup tonight, and uh, it's not a lineup that gives you great comfort. Um, but, you know, you got to step up. This is your shot. And you come up for the minor leagues. You're one of the guys on the bench. I see the game right now is 0-0. But right now the Mets have um, Pilar, who's a pretty good player in right field. Villar, I always mix the two of them up at third base. Uh, Peraza at second base. Nito at catcher. Uh, but it's 0-0 right now on Atlanta Braves. Uh, so maybe the Mets can uh, right the ship tonight with some uh, the backup stepping up and doing a good job. Yeah, I mean, I think also if you look at this, they have $75 million sitting on the IR right now. So, again, you know, Nimmo is the perfect example. He's just hurt too much. He, he, I mean, this is not pro football. So that this goes back to the Mets finally restocking their, their farm system with two A teams, one double A, one triple A. And let's be honest, this is a dog-eat-dog world. In most organizations, the guy from triple A comes up, he gets hot, guy comes back, there's no guarantees you're going to get your spot back. And that's how, people, that's, how, that's how great organizations promote people. They bring people up and they see, who, they see how they prove themselves. So we'll have to see how this plays out for them and who they pull up and how they play. I agree. Well, they have Tejon Walker on the mound tonight, who's really pitched well. Three and one, a two point two zero ERA, thirty nine strikeouts. He's pitching really well. What a great signing that was! You know, it was at the very end of free agency. They only signed him a couple of weeks before spring training. Everybody wanted everybody wanted them uh, to sign Trevor Bauer. I kind of wanted them to sign Trevor Bauer, the, the Cy Young Award winner last year. But right now. Uh, Tayshawn Walker looks pretty good. He's having just as good a season as Bauer is. Probably better. Yeah, exactly. There goes to the, exactly to your point. We're listening to the media tell us who to sign and versus telling us who, who makes sense from not only a money perspective but also a youth perspective. And so he, he, this, this Walker wasn't even talked about in the beginning of free agency. And then look where we are now with him. I agree. So, uh, all right, let's hope the Metsies win. Let's hope they get... Uh, things straight. Uh, I am concerned about the Mets, I must tell you. Uh, but um, we'll see. So uh, do you think the Mets are a playoff team this year, Kenny from Rye? I, I think they're a playoff team if, if, they, if the injury bug goes away because the roster, as we're seeing, is not that deep. I'm very, very interested in, and we've had this discussion about getting one of the Mets bloggers or you know, a beat reporter to see what the thought process is with regards to where they are in the middle of July and what type of moves they make. Um, I, I don't think they're going to make any short-term moves, and, and I don't disagree with that. And as I say, 
I think them building up their farm system is going to prove over the long term a better move than, than doing a, a short-term fix. Unless, you know, they're one game behind in August or whatever it may be, and then go from there. But I, I will be very interested to see where we are when they have this conversation in the middle of July. I don't think they'll trade away um, any of their top minor league players. They have to rebuild uh, the minor league system. Anybody who's watched Major League Baseball over the last decade uh, sees very clearly that you don't build through free agency. You build through the draft. You build through player development. Steve Cohen's putting a lot of money into player development and analytics. That's the direction they're going in. So this is the team, I think. Maybe they make a move. They might make one move. But I don't think they make uh, a move where they trade away any of the future players. I don't think so either, and I think that's the better idea. I think actually, to some extent, where they are, you know, from a perspective of taking, you know, because they, let's be honest, they have some flexibility on the financial side. He, he kind of goes back to basketball. Take, take maybe a bad contract to get a couple of good young guys to restock their farm system or to continue to stock their farm system, which I think is extremely important and or bring up young people who they think are giving an, they need an opportunity because there are some players here, as you were mentioning, who just aren't producing. You can't bat. 210 and stay on the field every day, you know, every every game. That's just a fact. You can't go I that agree. long. That's just that that's going to run out for a while. They've done a great job so far, but that luck is going to run out. All right, Kenny from Rye. Let's get another opinion. Another friar is on the line. Uh, is uh, Peter connected? Can we connect Peter? Uh, we're going to connect Peter DiBiase. See if he's talk can talk some baseball. We know he can talk college basketball. We know he can talk pro basketball. Peter, are you there? Oh, yes, I am, Jim. Thank you for having me on tonight. No problem. So we're talking a little Mets baseball. So first, tell us, are you Mets or Yankees? Um, I'm a Yankee fan. Uh, oh, I know. I liked you fan. so much, Peter. You seem like such an amazing young man. Thank you. Yeah, but I've been a Yankee fan since I was little. My dad grew me up as a Yankee fan. All right. We're going to let it slide. We're going to let it slide. Kenny from Ryan and I are Mets fans. Um but you probably, what do you think of the Met injury bug? You're seeing this in the newspaper probably, at least. You're probably following it, or actually, you probably follow online because you're young. Yeah, the Mets have been, I know tonight, Tyjon Walker had left side tightness, I want to say. And I know McNeil, and I believe it was Conforto, went on the I.L. So, yeah, injuries happen in baseball, but for some reason the Mets are getting hit with it quickly, and they need it. They, they don't need it because their offense has been really up and down this year. I agree. All right, so while we have you, uh, Kenny and uh, from Ryan, I can hear your analysis of where the Yankees are at right now. Um, I think the Yankees are in an interesting spot. Uh, right now they're two games back of Boston for the first place, which doesn't mean a ton for me because it's only May 17th, so you got until October to win the division. But the one thing I'm kind of concerned about is a little bit of the injuries. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton went on the I.L. today. Hicks went on the I.L. a couple days ago. Torres has COVID, so that's kind of concerning. And the offense has been really hit or miss. Basically, after the five-hole hitter, six, seven, eight, nine, of batting like under 200, and that just can't cut it in today's MLB. The pitching, the bullpen's been top-notch, and the rotation's been really good, especially Garrett Cole. But the hitting outside of the top four, top five hitters, kind of concerning for me right now. All right, Kenny from Ryan, what are your thoughts on the Yankees? I agree with them totally the same situation. They're, they're a little bit in, uh, in a little different situation, but it's now taken place over the last 12 months, and, and we're carrying it over to two seasons. They've got an injury butt problem. He took, Cashman took a, took a gamble here with some of those pitchers that, are, that have been proven not to make 100, 100, you know, 162 games. So what we're talking about now 
is one thing. What we're talking about in a month to six weeks is another. And if you know, I love Aaron Judge, but if the guy can't. He doesn't. He's not able to. Show, he doesn't be able to show up game after game after game. So that is a problem, and it's a particular problem when you get into the you know, the, as you say, the doldrums of of August baseball. I agree. Let me just say this about Aaron Judge. Obviously, he's an enormous baseball talent. I like watching him play. Seems like a really good guy. But I wouldn't want to be Cashman and have to make a decision on the contract situation of Aaron Judge. Healthy Aaron Judge, you pay him. But we don't really ever see of a healthy Aaron Judge over the last few years. Uh, how does Cashman make that decision? What do you think, Peter? Um, I totally agree with you, Jim. I think a healthy Aaron Judge, in my opinion, is a little biased as a top five hitter in baseball outside of Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, Mike Trout, and Mookie Betts. So when he's healthy... And if he can play 150 games, then, yeah, he'll produce a ton of home runs, a ton of RBIs, and bat two and three for you. But I agree with you. It's, it's interesting because if he can't stay healthy for a full, full year, how are you going to give him a six-year, $200 million contract, for example? It's, it's really interesting. I agree with you. I don't want to be cashing because he makes a lot of money for your team. The fans are going to want him long-term. I would want him long-term if he can stay healthy, but you got to think about it. Do we give a guy a long-term contract that doesn't play a full 140, 150 games a year? All right, so let me let me say goodbye to Kenny from Rye. Kenny, thank you for doing uh, uh, half the show with me tonight. And as usual, great work. And I got another friar to take your place to talk a little NBA. How's that? All right, James. Good night. Have a great one. Thank All right, you Peter, you hang on. Kenny from Rye is going. Peter, you hang on. We're going to go to a commercial break, and then we'll come back for our final segment. Start your mornings with radio's favorite morning team, Dennis and Tawny, and Good Morning Westchester. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9, right here on 1460 WVOX. 1460 WVOX. Okay, folks, we are back on College Hoops Chat, and we have one of our uh, recurring guests, Peter DiBiase. Uh, Peter, are you still there? Yes, I am, Jim. You know, I think you need a hashtag, Peter. Maybe we'll call you Peter the Fryer. How's that for a hashtag? That works. That works for me. All right, Peter the Peter the Fryer, because we can't do uh, Peter from Bedford, because I believe your father calls the show with that hashtag. Yeah, yes, he does. All right, so we're going to go Peter, uh, Peter the Fryer. All right. I want to talk a little NBA playoffs, and let's focus right now on what's in front of us. The play-in, tomorrow night it starts, Charlotte at Indiana, uh, Washington at Boston. Uh, the next night, Wednesday, you got San Antonio, Memphis, which is an interesting game. And I think the most interesting play-in game you could imagine, Golden State and Steph Curry against the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. What do you think of these play-in games? I'm one of the people that actually like it. I don't know if I'm by myself on that because I know a lot of I've read a lot of things on Twitter and social media and just from the media in general that they don't really love it um, just because it's a weird scenario. I think it brings a little more life to the NBA. I think the NBA has a problem of tanking and not enough teams going for a title. So now this kind of gives a couple more teams every year a chance to make the playoffs. So it makes the regular season just a little bit more interesting if you get a 10-seed or a 9-seed, 
you still have a chance come this time of the year. But I, I'm looking forward. I agree with you. I like the Lakers and the Warriors game just because you have the Steph Curry versus LeBron James robbery. And I think that game's really going to be interesting. And I could totally see the Lakers not making it out of the play-in. If they lose to the Warriors, I think that's going to be really tough. The problem is if they lose to the Warriors, they're going to get the Grizzlies or the Spurs. So I do think both of the teams that out of the West that are going to make the playoffs are going to be the Warriors and the Lakers. So you think the Warriors and the Lakers both will get in? Even though they play each other in the first game, they'll still get in? Yeah, because, the, yes, I agree. Because the 7th and 8th seed have two chances. And I just think the Warriors and Lakers are just kind of a, a notch ahead of the Grizzlies and definitely the Spurs, who are the weakest team in the West. All right, let's go to the Eastern Conference. What's your thoughts on these Eastern Conference games? Eastern Conference is kind of kind of unique. There's a little, not less star power, but there's a, you don't have the LeBron James, Steph Curry matchup. But you do have a Celtics team that is not playing as well as I think most people thought going into the year. Jalen Brown's out for the year. Kemba Walker's been in and out of the lineup. Jason Tatum's been banged up. They're probably the most talented team left, but they're getting a Wizards team that is playing really good basketball. Russell Westbrook just broke the triple-double record, but he's playing great basketball. Bradley Beal is one of the best scorers in the NBA. I really like the Wizards. I think the Celtics have been an absolute mess. And then we go to the Hornets and Pacers. I think that's a toss-up in my opinion. Um, I really don't see a one team better than the other. I know the Pacers are at home. They're three-point favorites at this point. I kind of like Charlotte just a little more than Indiana, but I kind of see that game being kind of a toss-up. But I could see the Wizards and Celtics both making it out of the playing game. All right, so Washington. Is Beal going to be back? I don't know. I haven't looked into it enough. I I, I honestly don't know. I don't want to give... Sure, sure, no. No, I'm going to have to check with... I think you're, uh, if you're not following on Twitter, uh, my friend Becca MVP... Uh, who is a crazy Washington fan. I mean, she is so into them, um, and uh, she's really great about doing follower follower train, uh, trains on um, Twitter. We, we can, like, uh, get another 20, 30, 40 followers on Twitter. i got to check with her. Okay. Yeah, because right now I look on it, so his hamstring is not 100%, but people expect him to play, but he might not be. If he does play, he won't be 100%. So that's a huge factor. But I do think the Wizards and Celtics are the two best teams. Um, it's just what Celtics team are we really going to get? Are we going to get the Celtics team that we thought in the beginning that has a chance to make it to the conference finals? Are we going to get that Celtics team or are we going to get the Celtics team that has been average at 36 and 36 this year and been an absolute dumpster fire on both ends of the court? I agree. All right, so um, you're, I'm sure you're going to be glued to the Golden State Los Angeles games. What a way to start the playoffs with a play-in game with all these superstars. No, I agree. It doesn't feel like a playing game. It feels like this should be uh, a Western Conference semis, a Western Conference finals between the one and two seed, the one and four seed, something like that. But yeah, you're going to have, I know the Warriors are not as loaded as they used to be, and Clay Thompson's injured. Obviously, Kevin Durant's no longer on Golden State. But you're going to have Steph Curry, who just won the scoring title, one of the best scorers in the league. And then you're going to have LeBron James, who's one of the greatest basketball players of all time, along with Anthony Davis. So this game is going to be amazing. Um, it's going to be a toss-up. I do think the Warriors, excuse me, the Lakers are kind of coming in a little banged up. You have LeBron not playing a lot, AD not playing a lot. Where's their chemistry going to be at? Obviously, they're way more talented than the Warriors. But I do see both of these teams getting out. No matter what happens on Wednesday night, I do think either whoever loses is going to beat either the Grizzlies or the Spurs. Most likely the Grizzlies will beat the Spurs. But 
I'm going to agree. Think the Warriors and the Lakers get out. I'm going to agree that Golden State and Los Angeles Lakers will go into the main playoffs. Although Memphis, to me, is a wild card. I think, you know, John Morant, they've got a lot of young players. Maybe they get hot. On the other side, yeah. I think I'm going to go Washington and Boston as the two teams that get to the next round. Even though I agree, Boston's a mess, but they still got talent. No, I like that. I, I don't love the Pacers. I know they're, right now, I believe they're the ninth seed at 34 and 38, but nothing on that. Like, if you look up down the roster, I like the Monta Sabonis. I averages 20 and 12 a game. That's good. But if you look at the Pacers roster, nothing kind of, like, jumps out to you if you're just a casual NBA fan. So they're not going to be a hot pick. And the Hornets have LaMelo Ball, a nice young uh, rising star in this league. But they're still not like their roster doesn't pop out of you. I agree. The Hornets and Pacers have the worst two rosters on the eastern side. All right, Peter. We're gonna, we have another caller, so I want to get you back soon with my son, Michael. And I know you guys now follow each other on Twitter. I'm going to have my two college student NBA fans to talk about the NBA playoffs the next couple of weeks. How about that? Sounds awesome. Thank you, Jim. All right. Thank you, Peter. All right. Thank you, Peter DiBiase. Peter the Friar, thank you so much. All right. We have another caller. Uh, this is John from Croton. John, are you there? Hey, Jim. How are you? How are you doing? So first, I want to re- let everybody know that John performs a tremendous service to sports in Westchester County. He's a ref in football and lacrosse. And we have to thank our refs because they do. The reason we only can have high school sports is because people are willing to be refs. And it's not always easy because you have a lot of idiot parents and a lot of idiot fans yelling at these refs who are just doing their best and usually uh, are, are right most of the time. So thank you for being a referee for high school sports, John from Croton. Well. Well, thanks so much, Jim. It's truly appreciated, and I really do enjoy doing it, and I really do do it for the kids. Well, thank God you do, because as you've told me many times, it's hard to even get refs these days because there's so many idiots, fans yelling at them. Well, we have, uh, unfortunately, we usually have a 30 or 40% uh, retention rate. Uh, We started with maybe a class of 10 or 15 each year, and unfortunately, uh, after the first, three, four, five years, we're down to five. Um, sometimes it is, uh, you know, what you're saying. Sometimes it is the commitment to it. Uh, it Maybe it's more than people think. But, yeah, uh, you know, you really have to put into it. You have to re- continue to remember that you're doing it for the kids. And, the, and, and when there's a shortage of refs, how is that fair to the kids that worked all week or all season to get to a game? And then, you know what, they can't have a game because there's not enough officials or this is their short officials, or or officials are coming from another game and can't get there in time. So all kinds of crazy things happen. All right, folks, if you go to a high school sporting event, do not yell at the refs. They're doing their best, and we need them, uh, or, or we won't have high school sports any longer. All right, John, let's switch the subject. You're a Knicks fan. You watch them all year. How are you feeling about the Knicks against the Atlanta Hawks? I, I, I'm feeling good. I think you know I had a discussion with my son, who's a recent Binghamton grad, and he thinks it'll be a six-game series that the Knicks will win in six. I did watch the game yesterday, Jim, almost all of it, uh, and I, I saw Coach Thibodeau shake his head several times. I think he's concerned about the team maybe playing down to the level of the opponent, and that's what happened yesterday with the Celtics. They almost let it get away from them. I mean, in the end, they hung on. They did win by four, but they were ahead by 20, so they have to play the right game. It's great that they're going to have a week off, I think yesterday they were a little bit tired in the fourth quarter because they had gone to overtime the day before with Charlotte. So they need this week, they need to focus, and they need to bring their A game because anything can happen. 
All right, John, I just want to let everybody know, because we were talking about in the last segment with Peter, uh, Bradley Beal will be playing against the Char- uh, Charlotte um, in the playoffs. So that's an interesting thing, because him and uh, Russell Westbrook is pretty imposing for Washington. All right, let's get back to the Knicks. Uh, I like the Knicks in the Atlanta series. I do think they're a better team. I think defense is the difference between the two teams. Thibodeau's team has played defense all year. They've gotten better and better on defense. They're one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. And I watched two of the Hawk games during the season, and the Knicks' defense stood out to me. Yeah, I think the Knicks are 3-0 and this year against the Hawks. So, you know, it's certainly they can certainly beat them. I think uh, what we've seen consistently over the Knicks, as you said, the defense, and this is Thibodeau, they're diving for balls in the first quarter. They're diving for balls in the fourth quarter. And, they, and so they're consistent from A to Z from the beginning to the end, and they just have to continue to do that. And they have to, you know, play relaxed. And, you know, Der- Derek Rose sets the tone out there. He looks so relaxed, and that's the way they need to play. I agree. All right, so I'm going to go with your son. How about that? We'll say Knicks in six. How about that, John? That sounds great, Jim. All right, John, thank you for the call. Let's go Knickerbockers. Let's go, Nick. All right. Thank you, John, from Crow. All right, folks, that's the show. I'm Jim Misano. This is College Hoops Chat. We'll be back next Monday at 8 p.m. Bye-bye now. Have a great week.